Hi, and welcome to the Good Dog Happy Baby Podcast, where we will help you prepare your dog for the arrival of your child. My name is Mike Wambacher, and I'm a professional dog trainer here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been training dogs here professionally for the last 22 years. I'm also the author of the best-selling book, Good Dog Happy Baby, an in-depth manual on how to prepare your dog for the arrival of your child. I'm joined here by my co-host and friend, Morgan Dix, who's going to help me sort through a lot of the issues you'll be facing in this exciting phase of your life. He's going to interview me, and we're going to lay out a lot of information for you to help you enable your dog to make this transition into siblinghood smooth and easy and free of hiccups. So let's not waste any more time and dive right in. All right, Mike. Hey, question for today. I currently have two dogs. Sometimes they fight over toys, and sometimes they fight over my attention. Should I be concerned for my child? What should I do? Well, that's a very good question, um, and yes, if there's something like that going on, you should definitely be concerned, because if the dogs are struggling over resources with one another, that, you know, the dogs will tend to interpret the presence of a child, especially as that child becomes a little more mobile, as, you know, as another sort of sibling-style competitor for attention, it's, you know, resources, etc. and if they're already competitive about that, that's going to definitely lead to flashpoints. So there's a whole bunch of things that would need to do that we would need to do to start to prevent that. Yeah. And that gets into, you know, it gets into complexities of rank management. Like the first um, 40 or so pages of the book, with what's called rank management, which is making sure that, that the social order. That's sorry, your book, Good Dog, Happy Baby. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, Good Dog, Happy Baby. Okay, got it. And, and so rank management basically is a series of sort of mostly symbolic steps and uh, protocols for living with our dogs that that send very, very consistent signals about social status. And social status has to, you know, obviously has to do with access to resources, or if you want to say dominance. I don't like that word anymore because it's it's loaded. But social status, you know, elevated social status, even with people, right? I mean, one way to understand it is that, you know, elevated social status increases access to valued resources and control over. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like that with dogs, too, and we can often inadvertently elevate dogs into uh, either a competitive uh, status positions or into positions where they just even assume themselves to be superior to us. And often it's contests around resources with which these types of things are sorted out. So if you've got two dogs that are that are going at each other, you know, or competitive with each other in a negative way, not playfully competitive, that's okay, but competitive in a real way. Yeah. Then we, we need to make some assessments with them about between the two of them, who is the more high status individual and also make sure that both dogs understand that we're the highest status individual around and then use that psychological framework to construct a context in which we control all the resources. And we also help the dogs to understand who's got access to what. But primarily, we want to do what we can to defuse tension with them. And also to make sure that they respect our ultimate authority as the controller of all resources in the house. And that can get tricky and complex. And this, you know, mm. the sooner somebody starts, the better. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can, I can throw in another thing on that whole subject, which it, it gets away a little bit from just the baby dog thing and, uh, in, into, you know, one of the big controversies in dog training. A lot of people, uh, out there these days are saying, well, dogs aren't really pack animals. They don't really, you can't really make uh, any conclusions about dogs' sense of social status by, by referencing wolf hierarchies and things like that. And that's not true. That card has been overplayed for sure. You know, I mean, certainly dogs aren't like constantly trying to climb the social ladder with us, but social status and social symbolism is very significant. 
and mm-hmm. fa- and especially in situations like this, often associative learning itself, you know, just learning by association, won't be enough to resolve, uh, you know, issues of social tension in the house, and that tension can get easily transferred to the child. So I don't know if that's getting too yeah. complex for anybody, but this so is why you're I'm- saying like associative learning versus like a more direct intervention asserting hierarchy. Yeah, definitely. Associate, you know, associative learning is just conditioning. You know, it's like Pavlov's dogs. It's basically op- operant in classical conditioning, and it's just learning by association. Yeah. You know, I do this, that happens. I don't do this, that happens. And, uh, you know, there are people in the so-called purely positive training camp that keep trying to make a scientific case for the fact that dogs learn primarily by association and that social status doesn't and social learning doesn't have much to do with anything. And basically study after study shows them to be wrong, which is, you know, a big part of the book that I'm working on right now. And this is in, it's in situations like the one that you brought up, that the, the whole understanding of rank and status are really important. That doesn't mean that, that uh, associative learning isn't also enormously helpful, but it's dramatically facilitated and mediated by social learning, you know, which has to do with status, rank, etc. That's super important, yeah. so especially when yeah. you're trying to deal with kind of thorny social issues like competitiveness. And the dogs will definitely translate that competitiveness to the child. Again, and as we've talked about in many podcasts over and over, as, as af- especially after the child becomes more mobile. You know, and the first threshold right. is eight months, and then another, the next threshold is a year and two months, and then it just, like, increases. You know, it, it just constantly, after a year and two months, the child just becomes more and more mobile, but not that much more <laughs> in control of itself. So it's just a flailing, spinning competitor for, for things, including mom's attention. Oh, yeah. Big time. So would the uh, systematic desensitization, which is something, obviously, we've spoken a lot about on the podcast, is that an example of associative learning? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's basically teaching a dog to associate something it's afraid of with positive things in increasing quantities such that the, uh, that it A, no longer has negative experiences in relation to whatever triggers it, say nail clipping, and starts to, uh, have a lot of positive experience in relation to it. Every time I get a nail clipped, I get a hot dog treat. You know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's a form of associative learning for sure. Okay. So what you're saying so far, if I understand it correctly, you're saying, all right, a lot of what we've talked about here on the podcast is a form of associative learning that we, you refer to as systematic desensitization. In a case like this, when, it, when we're talking about fighting over resources and competing over resources and the potential of the child entering into that milieu and that competition, because you're saying no matter what, the dog is going to see the child as a competitor for resources you're saying we have to take a different approach in situations like that. Associative learning isn't going to work. We need to refer to something more fundamental to like the dog, the architecture of the dog psychology, which has to do with rank management has to do with hierarchies. Is that the, that's the kind of essence of what you're pointing to now, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, just to be more clear, and there's a lot of finesse in this because it's a subtle topic, but um, I'm not saying that associative learning couldn't play a role. In dealing with dogs like this, it probably, you know, probably could, but it it, it needs to be. Like, I like what you said about the social. What do you say? The social architecture of the dog's brain. It needs to be. It needs to be aligned with that. Yeah. With the, with the social, you know, with the basic social instincts and sensibilities of the dog. Got it. 
you know, and it, again, the whole thing with dominance and rank management and all that is it does, it's not an excuse to be harsh on the dog, uh, you know, and that's the way it's often framed that, you know, anybody who refers to rank management as a, or, or anything to do with status and dominance with dogs is it's just an excuse to basically just be harsh with the physically harsh with them. That's not true. You know, the, the, anybody who'll look at the, the, my little doggy 12 step program will see that basically most of that stuff in there is non-confrontational. There are very rigorous ways to send a consistent message about status, power, control in a non-confrontational way, because largely that's what dogs and wolves do with each other. And, and so do humans, yeah. by the way. I mean, in the new book that I'm writing, there's a whole section on dog and you know the overlapping social systems in dogs and humans why we use so many similar social symbols i mean i'll give you an example this is just yeah. a sim- you have, you've, all, you've always heard you know don't you know when you pet a dog if you don't know him especially if he seems a little shy to pet him under the chin not over the head right yeah yeah you've heard, that's i mean that's kind of yeah i've heard that and also to keep keep your fist closed don't come in with an open hand but keep your fist closed and, well, yeah, uh, yeah that, that's less of a symbolism thing and more just a protect your fingers thing in case the dog bites. But uh, the yeah. social symbolism is, you know, to me, the parallel, the social parallel would be human beings. If I don't know you, if I'm just introduced to you at a you know, company meeting or at a party, the very first time, I don't throw my arms around your back and give you a big hug. You know, that would be kind of socially offensive. It might not be considered an assault, but it could be considered offensive and inappropriate. Right. I shake your hand. Yeah. Right? right. So handshaking comes from, you know, way back when to basically just let the other person know I have no weapons, I mean no harm. I'm you know, empty handed. Right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a social parallel. That's a symbolic parallel that we've scratched dogs under the chin first to introduce ourselves to say hello. Once I know that dog over time, I can pat him on the head all I want. Once I know you well, I can give you a hug the first time I see you. But yeah, you know, so that's just one example. There's many examples like that. There's overlapping social systems. So the thing is, I'm always baffled when people freak out when you talk about rank management, saying it's just abuse, which it isn't. You know, they just miss the fact that we do most of those same things ourselves that are involved in rank management programs. So, yeah, interesting. And, yes. and I've and I've seen many many times just to continue kicking that horse. <laughs> I've seen many, many times when somebody has serious behavior issues with a dog and they implement a, you know, re, you know, a, a kind of very a tight version of a rank management program. Often the problem behaviors disappear all by themselves without ever having to be addressed directly. You know what I mean? Mm, uh, yeah. And that involves no associative learning. It just involves a restructuring of the social situation. Um, and like I said, you know, for example, if say a dog's biting the owner, uh, yeah. In many in many cases, there's nothing associative you need to do. You just reorganize things with rank management, and the biting just goes away because the dog suddenly no longer feels like it has the right to assert itself that way. You know? Yes, right. So, right. Um, so these, you know, so this is the kind of territory you're getting into with that question. It's very complex. And I, you know, just to, because I could go far afield here, but um, if somebody's got that issue where the two dogs are being competitive. Again, not in a friendly way. They like to play tug of war or whatever, but you know, there's a constant sense of competitiveness between them for attention, yeah. for things, for the first to be fed, etc. That will translate to a young child. And so it needs to be taken very seriously. Yes. All right. So what would be if, say okay, so my wife and I are expecting and, and we've come to you and we've noticed this issue and we're like, okay, this seems like something we need to address. Mike what are our first steps? What do we do? Give me, like, tell me where to begin. 
well, the first steps would be basically look over the rank management program and start implementing it. You know, um, get yeah. you know, uh, well, and then so that's one thing. Get, the other get thing your is then book. Get, get, get my your book, book exactly. And, well, that's the answer to all of your questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's two things really. There's the, you know, it's basically a fairly rigorous implementation of rank management, and then also trying to make an assessment to the best degree that's possible as to which of the two dogs would be considered the more the more dominant between them. The trick then is to reaffirm the more dominant dog, the naturally more dominant dog, in its dominant position. That means it's treated preferentially in such a way that both dogs know it, so that that should, that should start to reduce the need for competitiveness. And, yeah. that then, and then part of it is then if the, if the higher ranking, once that's established, if the higher ranking dog starts making inappropriate overtures to the lower ranking dog, you know, like bullying, then yes. we as pack leaders who have the right to control social, you know, sort of social conflict in the group can interfere. At the same time, if the lower ranking dogs make inappropriate overtures to the higher ranking dog, we can also interfere there. So we start to manage the social context. And again, yes. in, the, in, in that context, there's a lot of room for clever uses of, um, of associative learning of, uh, you know, operant mm-hmm. conditioning and classical conditioning. There's a lot of room. Mm-hmm. Learning by association is more technical. Right. It's yeah. a technical thing. You know, teach the dog. This happens when that happens. You know, teach the dog when the other dog grabs its bone and walks away, you know, steals its bone. If that dog comes to you, it'll get a treat. Instead of lashing out at the other dog, come to mommy, come to daddy, get a treat and some TLC or something like that. that that's associative yeah. learning. And that's more mechanical. Yeah. The rank management is more social and intuitive. And I mean, there's obviously there's very specific steps there, but it's not so mechanical. And, you know, there's, especially when you're dealing with two dogs who are having issues with status around the house, there's some, there's some gray areas. Yeah. It's more, it's, it's both science and art, but there's more art to it. I was, well, actually, that's probably not true. I was going to say there's more art to it than with clever use of conditioning, but there's art to both. It's just with, yeah. the, with, the, uh, with the social stuff, it requires a bit of intuition also to know how to steer things. That's what it's good to get. I guess the other answer to your question is if you're in that situation, get the help of somebody who knows what they're doing when it comes to this rank management stuff. Yes. And, and conditioning it. and conditioning. And again, rank management doesn't mean that we're bullying the dog around. You're just yanking and jerking him into submission. That's not rank management. That's just brutality. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, look, I think we've, reached the end of this episode and um i think it's the this is really clear and the one of the main takeaways anyways for everyone listening is if you have this issue obviously go pick up mike's book in the beginning of the book as he said the first 40 pages it lays out a complete rank management system and you want to start to implement that right away whether your baby's coming or your baby's here, or you have a toddler, the sooner you do this, the better, because as, as Mike pointed out, it's going to be an issue. Mike, do you have any uh, final points you want to make before we close this episode? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of another self-pitch, but, uh, you know, because I've done this with a few clients of myself. The rank management program in the book is very powerful, and I think the Kindle download of the book is like eight bucks. So I often tell clients when they call me and they're having similar issues, so look, spend the eight bucks. The eight bucks is cheaper than I am. If I come to see you, you know, for private training, spend the eight yeah. bucks, get the Kindle version, read the rank management section. There's a lot of good information in there. So I, I mean, that's really for anybody who's having what they think are social issues with the dog. Um, so I, 
I just encourage people to um, get familiar at least with the principles and tenets and see how they apply in their situation. What, you know, whatever it is, whether it's this type of thing that you were asking about or just in general, it's a good, basic, structural alignment of the dog to, you know, with a social order that's going to make sense for having a dog, a baby, and, a, 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 you know, humans in the picture. Yeah. All right. Really good. Mike, thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. If you liked today's episode, I encourage you to please leave us a rating and a review over on iTunes. That is by far the best way for us to get in front of more parents and for them to get exposed to this podcast. And also, please head on over to gooddoghappybaby.com. If you need some of this advice, pick up Mike's book. You can get it over on gooddoghappybaby.com. Also, I recommend Mike's book, or rather his video course, Good Dog, Happy Baby. It, it tends more towards the uh, associative learning that we're talking about. But if you've listened to this podcast, you know we talk a lot about systematic desensitizing. A big part of that has to do with the associative learning that we talked about. He, this course focuses on that a lot. So please do check that out, gooddoghappybaby.com. And great. Mike, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Hope uh, hope this is a benefit to people. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye.